Please turn in your Old Testaments to 2 Kings 20, verses 12 through 21. 2 Kings 20, verses 12 through 21. And I'm going to ask you to hold that a little bit before. I want to explain a few things before we get to the text this morning um, in the narrative that we've been a part of. And I, I do uh, need to tell you, uh, warn you in advance before this sermon that We've been going through the Hezekiah narrative in 2 Kings mainly, but it's also in Chronicles in the book of Isaiah. I warn you today, this is not a happy ending. It's not the storybook way that we would have wanted this to end, and it's just not. There are many who have fallen away from God, and many who are drifting at this very minute. The Bible says that it's going to happen. People are going to turn away from God. They're going to turn away towards self. We don't want to believe it, you know. It's going to happen. And, and we know in our hearts it's true because basically it's a matter of when first love, love of God through Christ and grace and forgiveness is drowned out by self-love, it's it's when the sense of, of worship and the glory of God, the gratitude of our hearts is, is brought down and obscured by the fulfillment of me. We all struggle with, with that pull and those tendencies in our hearts. That's the human condition. But an inward focused life never delivers what it advertises. It never gives the very thing that we seek it to give, the, the satisfaction and fulfillment that our Creator, through grace alone, can give. So many have fallen away, and many are drifting. I remember the, the first of my Christian friends who fell away from God it broke my heart. You see, I didn't arrive at college looking for Jesus. I arrived at college trying to satisfy me and seeking all the different ways to fill my empty life and, and was very committed to all the, the different ways to the things and, and people that I could pour into my heart. And it was all about me and it was all about the fulfillment of me. And, and I heard about Christ and I heard why he died on the cross and and for the first time in my life I understood that God was not only love in the cosmic sense of the word but that God loves us individually and that Christ literally died on the cross to take my sins and the 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 being held accountable before a holy 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 God and and I'm going to tell you God worked in my life I I knew that all that stuff wasn't working I was crashing and burning while I was on the inside, while I was smiling on the inside. And, and I remember just when I said, I have to have you, God. And I put my trust in the Lord. And there was forgiveness. For the first time, I just knew that it was wiped out. And there was love and there was connection with God. And, and there was a brand new life ahead of me. It was, it was beautiful and and George was one of the main people in my life the first year of actually being a believer, a real believer 
in Christ as much as anyone that first year. He inspired me toward ministry. And he graduated. I was a junior, he was a senior. He graduated and totally began that drift toward self and away from Christ. I began to hear what was going on. I couldn't believe it. At first I thought, that's not true. Uh Uh-uh, you don't know George like I know George. It was true. And then he renounced Jesus. I called him on the phone. I said, George, it, it won't work for you. I just spent the last 19 and a half years of my life with that experiment. It won't work. Why are you going in the direction that I just came from? Trust me, George. It won't work. My heart is broken. And all he could say after a stunned silence on the phone, because I was a tender young Christian, and he realized the impact that his apostasy had made on my life. It's like he got grabbed by the throat by some you know, young, tender person, and he just said, I'm so sorry, Joseph, Joey. And he hung up the phone. That guy was the number one guy, number one guy, in the campus ministry that we served in together. That guy was the number one guy in the entire southeast region. That guy plus two others were selected from all the campuses in Campus Crusade for Christ to go, and he was one of three people to be personally mentored by Bill Bright himself, the founder and leader of this international organization. The autopsy of George and his faith is as follows. Everybody told him how wonderful he was. And the fact is, is that George just started believing it. And pride crept in, and slowly it shifted from being about God and a fresh daily relationship with God to being all about himself. And and he started coasting spiritually. Looking good on the outside, just drier, and drier and drier on the inside. And then he came to that point where he made a decision to start trying to fulfill himself in other ways. And all that. You know, people don't fall from God in a day. All that led, these series of choices, led to even more cataclysmic choices that he never should have been in position to choose. And the stories of his self-destruction are legendary. I've always wondered if he ever came back. Maybe I'll do a little research. I'll get back with y'all on that, okay? So many have fallen away and many are drifting. I remember the story of the most tender believer on earth. He, He had this childlike absolute, warm, love, faith, intimacy with God. This guy would pray for hours. This guy, you know what he would do? I mean, just just out of the overflow of a relationship with God, he'd start composing poetry right out of his heart of worship to God. Then he would take his little instrument and set it to music. They are the Psalms. 
that we read in, in the Psalter in, in our Bible, King David was his name, otherwise known as the man after God's own heart. Sweet relationship with the Lord. And this guy trusted God. It didn't matter how formidable the Philistines were. You could have a nine-foot giant and everybody else would cower. Not David. David would step out and he would point and he pointed at that nine-foot giant and said, how dare you? How dare you mock the living God? You will die. And it happened. Kept writing his poetry and his music, and God just blessed him. God anointed him as king over Israel. He had to put his trust in the Lord to run from Saul to get there, and, and the Lord blessed him and blessed him. And finally, he is sitting on his throne in Jerusalem. And I'm going to tell you, this guy has it all. But then his heart became proud. And even the writer of the Psalms. It became more about him than about God. And he started coasting spiritually. And it was in this time of coasting. It was in this time when he should have been doing the spiritual responsibility of the king. And it said when the other kings went out to war, when the other kings went out to protect their people, not David. David's coasting. And in that period of time, he saw a beautiful, beautiful woman Bathing on the roof, she, we don't have any indication that she knew he saw her. How did he get to that place where he wouldn't not only make a choice about her, it was as if he didn't even have to think about it. You, he said to his armed men, go get that woman and bring her to me. He had relations with Bathsheba, was her name. And then arranged to have her husband, Uriah, one of his best soldiers, arranged to have him killed just so he could have Bathsheba all to himself. Now some people, when they drift from God and walk away from God, they just basically torque it up even more. But we read in the Bible and we see in, in life that some people do repent. Meaning they come back to God. You know, God's always got His arms open to us. God is always a God of grace and forgiveness to us. The Lord sent the prophet Nathan out to David. David was deeply convicted of his sin. He tore his clothes. He repented in, in, in tears. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, if you want to read later, is just an outpouring of, of, of the, the pain and the relief of repentance and being forgiven by God. And life became sweet again for David. And he was not only forgiven, but he was restored to the throne and God protected his throne. Like my friend George and like David, you and I so easily can start spiritually coasting. Just kind of living on yesterday's seeking of the Lord, yesterday's dependence, yesterday's worship, yesterday's joy. We are thinking so much about ourselves that thoughts about loving God are getting left behind. Our text today teaches us that there is a product of pride 
And there's a cost to coasting. It simply puts us in a position, finally, to make bad choices that harm us and the ones we love. That's what the Bible says. That this is serious business, not just for us, but the people that we love around us. And we need to pay attention. You know, we, we read about Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18, these wonderful words. Verse 3, listen to this. He, Hezekiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. You see, David repented. God forgave him. How was David remembered? As one who loved God. And so Hezekiah is compared to David because Hezekiah loves God. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king of Israel. His father was named Ahaz, one of the most wicked kings of Judah, rather. And so Hezekiah became king. Do you know who taught Hezekiah? He grew up being kind of schooled under Isaiah the prophet. Can you imagine being taught from boyhood by Isaiah the prophet? He became king at 25. He cleansed the temple of all the idols that his father had brought in. He put gold overlaid the pillars and posts and and made the adornment of the temple beautiful to elevate the sense of, of, of the value of God and worship. He went up and destroyed all those high places on tops of hills with Asherah poles and, and uh, altars to Baal. He just destroyed them all. Verse 5, we read of 2 Kings 18, the, the greatest testimony about King Hezekiah. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. This is how we, this is like the opening sentence about him. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And yet, in the Second Chronicles account, remember it's 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah, we read that Hezekiah became proud and inward after all that God had done. Now, the Assyrians were the most powerful empire in the world at that time. No one had ever defeated them in battle, ever. The Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem. And do you know what godly Hezekiah did? Hezekiah basically tried to buy them off. Hezekiah got all the gold out of the treasury, all the silver. He stripped all that gold off the temple. And he he said, here, don't attack us. We'll, We'll give you what you want. Well, you can't negotiate with terrorists. Then or now, and they took the gold and they came back and said, we got your gold and we want your city. Wrote Hezekiah a letter and said, you know, there's no, there's no sense in, in not surrendering. Nobody's been able to stand up to us and your little puny little God can't stand up to us either. Hezekiah went into the temple, spread that letter out before the Lord and said, Lord, you've got to do it. He repented of trying to buy off, trying to, you know, use other means than just faith. And God answered and forgave Hezekiah. The the Assyrian army lost 185,000 soldiers in one night and then fled back to Nineveh. Hezekiah is happy again, and then his heart began to get proud again. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting because this is what happens to us. Well, Hezekiah got really sick. And the prophet Isaiah said, yes, you're sick. 
And the Lord wants you to know you're going to die. You're not going to recover. And Hezekiah repented of his pride and he pled with the Lord. And, and, and before Isaiah could even get out of the temple telling him that, basically God said, turn around and go tell Hezekiah, I have heard his prayer. And Hezekiah was granted 15 more years. And that's where we enter our text. Second Chronicles 32.25, But Hezekiah's heart was proud and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. And then the next verse in 26, Then Hezekiah repented of the pride in his heart. And now finally, second, our Second Kings text. And we, and, we, and we say, okay, this is great. Finally, everything's going to be okay. Now he's going to live happily ever after, right? Now he's learned his lesson. I kind of wish this wasn't in here. To be honest with you. No, Hezekiah, one more time, gets proud in his heart and starts coasting again. Why would God put this in here? I mean, why not just give us the happy ending we all want? Well, first reason is, this is what happened. And he wants us to know what actually happened. Secondly, is though we don't want to look at it, that's exactly what you and I are like. It's exactly where we go when we lose a passion to simply walk with God, refresh in the truth and grace and love of God, be dependent upon this God who loves us, that, that kind of psalm-composing, intimate love that is offered to God's children. So let's read our text. Finally, 12 minutes in, we get to read our text. Hopefully, you will understand this text a little better with what I have said to you as we read it. 2 Kings 20, 12 through 21. At the time of Merokadah, Baladon, son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the messengers. And by the way, he's like sending messengers to say, we're glad you got well. That is not what this is actually about. And the key verse is 13. Hezekiah received the messengers and showed them all that was in his storehouses, all the silver, all the gold, all the spices, the fine oil, all his weapons his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show the Babylonians. Verse 14, Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did these men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, They came from Babylon. Prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing in my treasures that I did not show them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace 
and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants from your own flesh and blood that will be born to you, they will be taken away. And they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Verse 19. The word of the Lord has spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will not Will there not be peace and security during my lifetime? Won't come while I'm alive. Verse 20. As for the other events, it does end positive. As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements, and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water to the city. Go back on our website, listen to all the sermons, and you'll hear all about that if you'd like to. Research that. The pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Hezekiah rested with his fathers. That's kind of a euphemism for died. And Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king, one of the most wicked kings ever. Went straight back to that. You know, it all kind of boils down to in your heart, in my heart, where we're going to point our finger for our life. We're going to point our finger to God and say, yes, it, it is God the Creator. It is God the Savior. God who has done it all. God who has taken my place on the cross. God who freely gives me relationship with Him. Understanding, interpretation of life, love, forgiveness. My life is wrapped up in God. Or will our finger turn to ourselves? My life is about me. Or will it turn to things? Or will it turn to other people? Finally, what my life is defined by is me and what I want. The Babylonians weren't just coming for a personal, in-person, get-well card to Hezekiah. You see, they were an emerging power already beginning to vie for control with the Assyrian Empire the empire that God had actually turned back from Jerusalem under Hezekiah, they were beginning to come up. And I'm going to tell you something. You, you need to understand something about this little strip of land that we today call Israel. It has always been, and particularly was at that time, a very important strip of land for power. Not because there was any particular power about the land, but the most prosperous and important trade routes in the ancient world all came through Israel. And whoever controlled Israel controlled the trade and therefore became even more powerful. So these men came, and you know what they wanted to see? They wanted to see what they would later conquer, how they could use it, and they even got thrown in to see all the gold and the silver they were going to get all the other stuff they were going to get, and they even got and brought back, are you ready for this? How foolish was he? A complete list of the military strength of the kingdom of Judah and what it would take to destroy them. So we ask the question, how could Hezekiah be so stupid? It's not hard to answer that question. 
The same way you and I can be so stupid. Pride. The same way you and I get to decisions we would, should never get to by simply wandering away from God, going on our own feelings, going on other people's opinions, rather than the external objective truth of God that we need. Man does not live by bread alone. He does not live by all these things. He lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We should never get to that place if we could just walk humbly with God dependently and joyfully with God. You know what the bottom line is? Are you ready for this? He wanted to impress the Babylonians. It was all about him. He could have said, thank you so much for your concern in my sickness. Let's have a banquet and y'all can go home now. But no, no, no. No, he wanted them to know how majestic he was. He wanted them to know how talented he was as a king and all the gold that, that the Assyrians had left behind, all the things that had been amassed. And, and so more and more, he just wanted the compliment. And he took them and he showed them everything. Everything just because he was proud. Just because he wanted their approval. Isaiah rebukes Hezekiah for his pride. Isaiah doesn't come in and say, you are so great. I am so glad I'm a prophet in your kingdom. You're so majestic. You're so talented and wonderful. I'm so glad that the Babylonians now see how wonderful you are. Isaiah the prophet comes in and basically says, you showed them what? Do you understand what you, because of your need to be stroked, just did this is intense he says to hezekiah they'll be back and this time when they come back everything you showed them will be taken away your own sons and your own children will be taken away by them and your own flesh and blood will be turned into eunuchs to serve in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah answers that he is pleased with the word, for he thought, at least it won't happen during my lifetime. But it had to bother him that he, his pride put an entire nation and his family at risk. The good news is, Hezekiah repented again. Isn't that wonderful? Hezekiah repented again. And he is remembered, Hezekiah is, in, in all his adventures and misadventures, finally as a man who walked with God and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And there was none, not a king like him in Judah before him, or after him. Let me tell you something. If you're at all interested in how people will remember you, repenters are remembered well. They are remembered for their humility. They are remembered for their submitting to God's Word rather than their own thoughts. 
they are remembered for people who needed grace and appropriated grace and forgiveness from God. People who go the other direction and just torque up their rebellion are remembered precisely for their rebellion. That's a scary thought. That's one of the most comforting thoughts from the Scriptures I have heard in a long time. What that says, folks, is that you and I who have fickle hearts like Hezekiah, you and I who have coasted and and at times drifted from God and allowed ourselves to be in situations that we should have never gotten to and choices that we should have never really had before us had we not drifted, you and I have this this God, as, as was sung earlier in the in the offertory that we're not holding on to him we discover he is holding on to us this god who always has his arms open for all who will repent and humbly come to him and repenters are always remembered well i want to close by remembering a a really important moment in my the my instruction and as a believer and and training to be a minister. It was an RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, course taught by Gordon MacDonald. How many of you remember Gordon MacDonald? Raise your hand. I'm not expecting many. Well, that's that's more than I thought. Look, if this was 1985 or 86, a lot more of us would know that name because Gordon MacDonald was this young pastor, very vibrant, very intelligent pastor. And you know what he, where, where God sent him? God sent to that play, him to that place that's kind of been known as the, the graveyard of preachers, the New England. A very secular, very hard place for the gospel. Gordon MacDonald goes into New England. He's pastoring this church. The Lord blesses this church. Incredible things are happening. People are coming to know Christ experiencing forgiveness and new life, baptizing their children in, in the covenant and all these wonderful things. And this church, man, it's just growing. And people are noticing how, what a great young leader Gordon McDonald is. And now he's writing books, Ordering Your Private World, Restoring Your Spiritual Passion. Great books. Man, he is hot. And he is so talented and so recognized that somebody from the outside called him one day and said, you are so wonderful. Do you know what you need to do? You need to quit being the pastor of that church and you need to come be the head of inter- the international director of InterVarsity, one of the largest campus ministries that spreads throughout the whole world. And, and there in his late 30s, early 40s, Gordon McDonald, man, I'll never forget, I was watching a video as he's talking about InterVarsity. I'm like, that guy has got it. Things aren't always the way they appear. Gordon MacDonald had had an affair with one of the people who worked in his church and committed adultery. And when that came out, it shocked the evangelical world because this is one of our bright, shining stars. And I always appreciate his wife, Gail, Gail McDonald. You know what? She stayed with him. Amazing lady. But I'm going to tell you something about Gordon McDonald. I will always appreciate Gordon McDonald to my dying breath because Gordon McDonald was a man of God who sinned and repented 
and was restored. Gordon MacDonald made sure that his repentance and restoration was just as notorious as his sin. He set up some people to walk with him and he asked the entire evangelical world to pray that that he would walk with Christ in his restoration. And now in this RTS course, this was the very first public speaking engagement that he had a year and a three, two or three years, I think it was, after all this broke. And here he is. And he stands up and with tears, he says, I have not spoken. I have not done anything. I am so grateful to be able to tell my story and to teach this course. He's in his early 50s now, or late 40s, I'm not sure. But in this course, he said something I will never forget. He said, gentlemen, I have a new goal. I have thrown out my old goal, and I have a new goal. My old goal, spiritually, was to do great things for God. My new goal is simply to walk with God and finish strong. Wow. Wow. To walk with God in humility, in truth, grace, love, holy fear, and to gain daily, as he talked about how it used to be between him and God and how it was again, Daily, all that he needed for each day, that God would grow him and bless him each day, and that through that each day, he would be able to do through God whatever God wanted him to do. And he, he said, He said, That, that is the most exciting thing in my life. No more pointing, and I'm adding words to him now, no more pointing the finger at me. And all that I can do, pointing the finger at God and saying there's nothing more exciting than simply walking with God daily and loving Him and growing in Him. I said and I still say, wow. He had learned the cost of coasting. So did David. So did Hezekiah. What about you? I don't know where you are, but if you're coasting, if it has become more about the fulfillment of you than the glory of Him and the worship of Him, if you've put your trust in Christ and what He's done on the cross, I want you to know He still loves you. I want you to know His arms reach for people who humbly come to Him and for people who repent. What about you? What is the most exciting thing in your life? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that You would arrest the drift in our hearts. Thank you that you never let go of us. Thank you that our righteousness is not even our own righteousness, so we're never kicked out. 
we run away. Lord, would you turn, dear brothers and sisters, all of us, challenge our hearts to sweetly come to you. Would you turn people for the first time to quit all the striving of religion that they can never impress you enough to have a relationship with a holy God and put their trust in what Jesus has done. And Lord, would you restore unto us the joy of our salvation and let it be the most exciting thing in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.